Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, John Kachubo with us as we're talking about his latest work, Shapeshifters, A History. Would you say that the Dracula and the werewolf were the two prime examples of external external shapeshifting? I think, George, that those are the stereotypical ones that we think of all the time. You know, and I mean, rightly so, as I said a little bit earlier, I think the media has been doing a great job in talking about vampires and werewolves. So we, we get those all the time. Um, but, and they're, and they're probably the most colorful, you know, in so many ways, and maybe the most dramatic. If you think of a werewolf, I mean, that's an entire, entire change. And there's something about, I think, sort of the canine relationship that we have. Um, right, animals and, right. and dogs, animals and wolves, animals and canines, and humans and all that. There's, there's something that goes way back with our relationship with, you know, the dog was the first domesticated animal. And, of course, the dog was just a tamed wolf. So I think there's almost something, I don't, I don't want to say mystical, but I think there's some really strange kind of connection with how we feel about wolves generally. And maybe that kind of resonates with the population these days. Um, I'm not sure. Something I'm looking into. <laughs> Tell me about biblical shapeshifting. What there's happened quite, then? Yeah, there's quite a few actually mentioned in there. Uh, the Old Testament talks about, um, there's a, I think it's the book of Daniel, where uh, a king, Nebuchadnezzar, is called, uh, they don't call him a werewolf, but it says that he was transformed for transgressing God. He was transformed into some beast that had claws and ran around in the fields, and I think the Bible says ate dew, you know, from the grass. Mm-hmm. But clearly it transferred into some kind of animal. Saddam yeah. Hussein thought he was the reincarnated Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, that's right. And so, you know, you, uh, it's an interesting point. You wonder if uh, Saddam believed that, you know, was he an internal shapeshifter? Did he act according to that, to how Nebuchadnezzar mm-hmm. would have acted? I mean, I don't know, but that's a possibility, I suppose. But the New Testament, too, has some interesting um, ideas about shapeshifter. There's even some theologians that say that Jesus himself... um, I was just going to ask you about him. Right, right. Well, there's a couple of examples they give. Uh, One actually is is not biblical, but it comes from an ancient Coptic text that's in the Morgan Library in New York. And this theologian has examined that text and, and interpreted it. And he translates it, I'm going to paraphrase it, but to say that when Jesus appears to people, sometimes he appears as an old man, sometimes as a young man, sometimes he looks, the word is ruddy, uh, sometimes he looks fair, pale. So it appears, according to this theologian, that Jesus appeared to people in different forms. Um, Now that could be just metaphorical, that everybody saw in Jesus something that, you know, they resonated with. But you can also take it quite literally and say, well, maybe he actually did that. I mean, if you believe that he's God, then then certainly shape-shifting shouldn't be any issue for him, right? It shouldn't be any, shouldn't be any exactly. problem. Um, and then you look at something like the Transfiguration, which interestingly enough, uh, well, I'll go back to that, but you know, here you have a story of Jesus going up to the mountain. He tells his disciples to stay down here below. I'm going to go up and just you know, watch what happens. And as they look up, they see him suddenly transform into this sort of 
I guess you'd call it a glorified body, where now they say he glows. He glows, yeah. Blinding, yeah. And not only that, but apparently he calls down two other spirits, Elijah and I believe the other one was Moses, to be with him. And both these guys have been you know, dead for hundreds of years. Um, but so he, they, they can't even look at this. It's such a blinding, blinding image. Then he descends from the mountain and he's his normal self again. Um, so, and interestingly enough, the Buddha, uh, twice in his life, had a similar type of transfiguration as well. So putting those two different religions together and those you know, philosophies, say, well, that's interesting. It wasn't just a, Christ, a Judeo-Christian thing, but also in the Far East, in Asia, you had the same kind of thing. So is there something really going on there? Is there some ability to transform into something else? Um, and I, I have to say, I ran into a little uh, controversy, I guess, with the Catholic Herald. What happened? <laughs> well, the Catholic Herald reviewed my book, and generally uh, they liked it, but they weren't too happy about me saying that Jesus possibly was a shapeshifter. Shapeshifter, yeah, yeah. And, and I just well, think, you were being at, complimentary. Well, I, yeah, absolutely. And I said, look, if if somebody could walk on water, cure the lame, cure the blind, raise the dead. It shouldn't be any problem for him to be a shapeshifter as well. And what would be wrong with that if he was? I mean, but anyway, um, so I got a little uh, controversial review there. But, uh, you know, it was interesting. Interesting take. Are there examples of modern-day shapeshifters? Again, I would say it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, there are certainly I'm, accounts. I'm talking to you. Earlier. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. There are newspaper accounts. But also you have... Um, David Icke, who I think probably a lot of your... Oh, yeah, we know David. Right, right. Well, so he has this theory about reptilian alien shapeshifters that came... And the the royal family. That's that's right, that's right. He believes that there's this genetic strain that's been with us from aliens for millions of years, and that it has this ability in it to shapeshift into a reptilian being of some sort. And his premise is that a lot of the world leaders today are descended from these people, that they have this reptilian alien gene within them. So Queen Elizabeth, for instance, is one. Um, He mentioned Barack Obama. Uh, There's other world leaders, but not only just world leaders. He also talks about some famous celebrities in music and art, you know, some leading athletes, um, all these sort of celebrated figures that we know about. And he says, well, a lot of these are actually reptilian aliens living among us. And I guess the, I guess the belief that he has is that somehow they are here for world domination. He calls it the Babylonian Brotherhood. Uh, and I'd have to say, well, that might, if that's the case, it's been taking them millions of years to do this. You would think by now they would have been successful. Um, maybe some people would say they have been successful. I maybe. don't know. Halloween is uh, about six weeks away. Mm-hmm. Is that a form of shape-shifting where people put on costumes? I believe it is. There's, there's a reason why we do that. Uh, one thing I think about the shape-shifter, the whole idea of being a shape-shifter, is that it appeals to something within us in the sense that all of us, I think, feel maybe incomplete in some way. I'm not tall enough, I'm not handsome enough, I'm not strong enough, I can't run a mile under four minutes, you know, whatever it might be. I'm shy. Uh, And so if you could sort of put on some others, I mentioned before, sort of put on a different hat. But in this case, 
maybe put on a costume, put on a face, put on a whole outfit. You can take on a persona. You can be somebody else. And I think it's interesting to ask people why they choose a particular costume or particular mask at Halloween. Why did you pick this one? Why did you want to be Batman? Why didn't you want to be... You know, SpongeBob. <laughs> two different, different, two different reasons, right? So there's something about that that allows us to um, act out in a in a way, if you will, and act out safely. You know, it's almost like a, a safety valve. So yeah, I think Halloween has a lot to do with that. Not just Halloween, but even masquerades. Uh, you know, in the 18th century in England, masquerades were finally banned because people would put on these masks and they'd have these parties and they would drink and whatever, but also they would take license with each other that, you know, was, was considered uh, improper, if not immoral or even illegal. But as long as you're wearing a mask and doing it as somebody else, it wasn't the same as if you did it yourself. Uh, and so actually masquerades were, were banned. There were pamphlets and whole entire societies banning masquerades in England. They actually went underground for a while. So, Do you talk uh, publicly about this? I do. Where? Often. Well, it, before COVID, I mean, I used to do a lot of personal Oh, appearance. yeah, me too. me too. Libraries, universities, on shows like yours. And I'm still doing it now. In fact, I'm doing a lot of virtual programming, um, actually, you know, through Zoom and things like that, I am still doing programming for libraries and universities and any anybody that'll you know that'll listen. <laughs> and where do you get copies of Shapeshifters? You can get copies. Uh, well, you can go to my website for one thing, johnkachuba.com, dot com, and you can get them directly there through the publisher. Um, you can get them on Amazon. All my books are on Amazon, uh, so they're you know, like I say, you can get them to my website or you can get them on Amazon. You can get them in your bookstore um, if you go to a bookstore these days. Uh, widely available. No problem getting them. Do you think vampires are real? Or is it a figment of their imagination which makes it appear to be real? Well, so there are, there are people today that call themselves sanguinarians, um, which are people that would ingest blood, human blood, and live on that. And there are communities in New Orleans and actually upstate New York, of all places. And these people actually take in human blood. They take it in from voluntary donors. And they do it in a very hygienic, sort of medically oriented setting. And the donor usually signs something saying, I'm willingly, you know, giving some of my blood to this person or whatever. And these people believe that without, without human blood, they, they can't survive. Uh, now, they eat other things, obviously. They can't possibly live just on blood, but they do take in human blood. So are they vampires? Well, they wouldn't call themselves that. Like I say, they use the term sanguinarians because they are not literally biting somebody's neck against their will, which is what a vampire does. But they're doing the same thing. They're, they're taking in human blood and as sustenance. Which is what a vampire should be, I guess, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, that's what a vampire is all about, right? So... So, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely that, and there are still people that believe they are the old style, the uh, sort of mythological style vampire, too. And, again, that's more internal than anything. Again, we're going to take calls with John next hour here on Coast to Coast. If you have a shape-shifting story you want to relate to us, go ahead, or just a question or two. Uh, on your book, Ghost Hunters, which uh, we talked about a, a year ago, 
where do you stand with ghosts? What do you think they are, John? Well, what I don't think they are are the spirits of the dead, you know, coming back to us. Um, I'm more of the mind. Let me back up. I do a lot of, I've read a lot of quantum physics, um, understanding maybe about 5% of what I read because it's so complicated. It is complicated. But if you believe, as quantum physicists believe, that there is a multiverse, you know, not a universe anymore, but a multiverse, and an infinite number of, I'll just say worlds for a shorthand, mm-hmm. but an infinite number of worlds that are all in the same place at the same time, all around us, think of it as sort of a stack of pancakes, maybe, you know, kind of different levels of reality. If that is all true, and quantum physics seems to indicate that it is, then in, is it possible that on some weird circumstances, our realm, our reality, bumps up to another one um, and somehow interacts with it, even if almost momentarily? So when we see a ghost, a supposed ghost, might we not be looking into some other reality and saying, oh, it's a ghost, when in actuality it's just a being from that that realm, that reality, who then is looking at us and saying the same thing. Oh, a ghost, you know, but actually is a reality. And you talked about this a little bit in your Skinwalker Ranch book. Um, you know, the idea of uh, a portal, uh, you know, to alternate realities or other dimensions. And I think that's more likely what a ghost might be than actual, uh, you know, the actual essence or remnants of the dead coming back. Are you plagued by these things in terms of the fact that they all could be real? I mean, what does that tell you about what's going on in this universe? (laughs) Well, it tells me uh, Einstein said he did not want to live in a universe where there was no magic. Um, And and, we've got magic. You got magic. Definitely. I mean, that's what I believe. am Am I plagued? I'm not sure I'm plagued, but I am certainly amazed when I do some of this reading and research to think how little, how little we actually know about anything uh, and how much still eludes us. And the question is, will we ever know? Will we ever have the answers to these things? I I don't know, but uh, I'm certainly open to the mystery, to the magic. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.